This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom? Hey, it's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. You know, again, we love doing the show, but life happens. Ben is possibly the busiest man in podcasting, and we both had obligations that needed to be filled on the other side of the microphone, so episodes were put behind, but we are back and ready to go. Yeah, we, we kind of took a little bit of a hiatus. I mean, you had some stuff going on, I had some stuff going on, and so unfortunately it's got pushed to the back burner, but we are back. We are working on some cool things behind the scenes, some that we can't quite talk about yet, some that I'm kind of finalizing, so hopefully in the near future we'll have some some really cool announcements coming from just some podcasts, all that educational type stuff. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You never know what the future holds. But how's everything going up in your neck of the woods, man? Very good. Of course, upper respiratory infections and stomach bugs are just making their rounds. But really, overall, it's been pretty good. Just busy in the office. How are things where you're at? Cold. (laughs) (laughs) A little cold front blew in. And so we've, we've been in a drought in this area for the last couple of years. And so it has rained pretty much nonstop or at least drizzled for the last four days. So that's been nice. But then this cold front blew in and like, I think the low tonight's like 20 and the high was like 38, I think or something crazy like that. So, I mean, it, it definitely feels like some October fall football weather. I am glad I did not mind the hot weather as much this year. It seemed more mild, I guess, but I am a fall weather type of guy and, that's what I'm looking forward to. So we're going to get into, you know, influenza season, like you say, kind of the upper respiratory stuff. And of course, COVID's still prevalent, not as prevalent as it was during the pandemic, of course, but it's still out there and still, still treating that as we can. So Ben, I am super excited. Not only are we coming back tonight, but we're coming back and doing one of our favorite episodes, the annual Halloween special. Yeah. And in the past, if you've listened to us before, and hopefully you have. Uh, you know, we, we've done medieval medicine several years in a row. And so I was talking to Tom, and I was like, hey, you know, I had thought kind of the well went dry. Tom does not think so. We may bring it back at some point. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, we, we've covered a lot of medieval medicine. And I'm like, but there's something medieval-wise that we haven't really covered that I think could be very interesting. And that was medieval torture. You know, the point of the Halloween special is to fulfill the Halloween spirit. I guess, you know, and what is the Halloween spirit? It's anything creepy 
goblins, ghouls, spirits, you know, the stuff that all the rest of the year you're like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't mess around with that. But suddenly October 31st, you're like, yeah, Ouija boards are cool. I don't know. You know, I, I, it, it doesn't, it Never. doesn't seem. <laughs> I've had well, the film of that already. <laughs> but, but the point is, is for some reason, this time of year just brings it out where the things that you keep hidden inside that you find creepy, but you really want to talk about. For some reason, this is the time of year you can talk about it. So why not do medieval torture? Also, it does have an effect on the body. It's not like we're not going to you know, bring the whole medical aspect to it, but I'm kind of excited to do it because honestly, some of the tortures I picked were have a large psychological impact. So I think that's an interesting thing to consider that most people don't think about when they think about torture. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about tonight's topic. Several of mine have some psychological impact as well, and I'm sure we will hit on that when we get there. But, you know, we're, we're still in the banter part of the show, and you brought up Ouija boards. Have you ever played with a Ouija board? Because I have, and I did it one time, and it freaked me out. And I'll, I'll even tell the story on the air. I don't care. I mean, but I'm just curious. Have you? Yes. I could tell the story on the air, but it would be a very long story, and it may hurt people's feelings. I don't know how to explain that, but we'll, we'll just suffice it to say that I do believe that there is a very large amount of psychomotor you know, issues. Like you really want the answer to be yes, or you're scared the answer is yes. So suddenly, you know, the, the little mouse cursor thing or whatever that Trevette, or I think is what it's called, you know, it just all of a sudden, Oh, it goes towards yes. Oh God, it's so scary. But really you were subconsciously pushing it that way. The only thing I'm going to bring up is that some of the answers, because there were multiple people touching, you know, right. the only person that knew of the answers to the questions when I was there was, was me. So yes, I could have subconsciously been doing it, but I was like, wow, that would have been a hell of a, hell of a trick for me to overpower four other people or three other people. I don't remember, you know, we were in high school or whatever it was. So the point is, is I did it. Yes. It certainly freaked me out, but at the same time, I am a believer in most of it's mental. You know, we mentally trick ourselves into doing some of those things. So I was, I I had to admit to myself, that was a heck of a mental trick if it was though. (laughs) Well, so me and a buddy, and this was back early high school, were messing around with the Ouija board, you know, and we were being stupid and we had like four candles lit, you know, like on, you know, North, South, East, West type thing. I mean, just, and it was like, I don't know, midnight, 1 a.m., and so we're playing around on the Ouija board, and we probably were, were 30, 45 minutes into it, asking stupid I mean, you know, just being stupid kids. And one of the questions that we asked was, can you prove that this is really a spirit or you know, whatever we're talking to? And one of the candles just went out, just, <laughs> and then we could not relight it. And I'm like, you know, what? I've had enough. Yeah, you I, know, there's things you can't explain, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm – I'm sure in retrospect, well, I don't know. Sometimes there's not an answer. I have been in situations myself where I'm like, nope, I don't know exactly what just happened, but I don't know what it is. And (laughs) so I'm done with it. So yes, my point is, is this is the time of year where I would never, not that I have anything against Ouija boards. It's just not something I would ever have anything to do with. You know, it's not like I'm sitting around in my lazy boy going, boy, I sure wish I had a Ouija board right now. It just don't do that. But some reason in October, people were like, hey. You want to drink a bunch of absinthe? Like, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, suddenly I do. It's just this time of year. So, But yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so I get you. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump into our story that you may have missed, and then uh, we'll do some commercials, and then we'll, we'll get into some torture. 
and not like the BDS, like you know, Pollyanna type. Yes, that's that's her special. <laughs> we made to bring her on for that sometime, though. Tom, do you know who Mark Rober is? Mark Rober? Rober, R-O-B-E-R. Doesn't ring a bell right off the right off hand now. So he's a cool engineer. He does a lot of YouTube videos, has millions and millions of views on a lot of them. And he does some crazy kind of stuff. Well, one of his videos that I actually watched this one a couple of weeks ago, which is why I was like, oh, I want to talk about this. He set out on a year long odyssey. He wanted to break the world record for the smallest Nerf gun. And so in the video, he talks about they had had to basically make it all out of one piece. And you take some of the the hinges and springs and turn it all into one piece to make it fire. And so he had one that fired that was tiny. I think it was a thousand times smaller than a standard Nerf gun. A thousand? Yes. So it was like ant size. Oh, like, man. Yeah, that's... Like you had to have tweezers and to to fire it. And, I mean, the video is on, on YouTube. But he thought that Mr. Beast, you know, another famous YouTuber... He tried to break that world record, so he went even smaller. So he worked with the Salk Institute, and they used DNA origami to make one last batch of nano Nerf guns. So it says this technique takes advantage of the fact that DNA naturally binds up when complementary strands are placed in solution together to build up specific shapes. In this case, the right DNA strands placed in the right temperature solution for the right length of time produced trillions of little nano Nerf guns. At 100 nanometers in length, they're smaller than the wavelength of visible light, so they had to use an atomic force microscope to actually look at them. But what they're saying now is, you know, this technology could potentially maybe be used for medical breakthroughs in the future. He explains it says, you know, the DNA origami techniques might be used someday to hack the human body's biological mechanisms. He says, for example... If you had 1.2 trillion mini Nerf guns, then instead of firing darts, we're firing something to kill a bad cell like cancer or fortify a good cell. So we'll link to the video. It's like a 30-minute video, but it's it's very cool because you actually can see on the atomic. I mean, they're very, very, obviously, tiny little shaped like Nerf gun looking things. They're, I mean, it's a very cool video, but I thought, you know, using DNA to build a Nerf gun um, was interesting, and I could see there's could be potential in the future to use that to kind of help cure things. Yeah. I, I know that we have already been working on and developing nanobot technologies. Have you ever seen the show, the outer limits? Uh, no, it's like the twilight zone. Anyways, okay. I want to say it was the nineties. They remade the outer limits and there's an episode where the guy tests nanobots on himself and they go crazy and then he can't die. And that's, doesn't turn out for him in the way you'd think. Of course, it's like the Twilight Zone, so of course it's bad. But the point of all this is I know that we've been thinking about and working on this type of technology for a while. I just – I really hope we start getting into more application. Like, okay, we keep hearing about all the cool stuff we can make and all the cool things we think we're going to do with it. Can we start doing it? Right. You know, people are dying of cancer like every day. Can we, can we start making it now? So that would be – pretty awesome no but i'm very hopeful that we've gotten to the point with science that instead of just having to find a way to trick nature into making the problem fix itself we just fix it for it yeah yeah and that's pretty amazing and as long as people keep believing in science hopefully we'll get to keep making these you know breakthroughs but you you should uh, watch some of mark rover's videos he, he's done like a squirrel uh, obstacle course i mean there, it was all cool stuff that he's done have you ever seen a smarter every day 
I don't think so. I thought I sent you a video. He is also an engineer who does, he was a YouTuber and I don't know exactly what he does, but I believe he works for the government making stuff. So he usually, yeah, he's got some very clever ways of doing stuff and he makes a cannon that could shoot a baseball that goes a thousand miles an hour. That is impressive. It is. And they use it to shoot things like a one gallon jar of mayonnaise. I think I've seen and it's, it. Now. Yeah. yeah I think I sent you that because it's impressive what that happens. But anyways, science, cool. So let's start making those things happen. I agree. All right. Let's take a break here. And on the other side, we'll get into some torture. Tom. I know we've been on hiatus for a while, but I know that you are still using that Echo Core digital stethoscope. All the time. As a matter of fact, I have new students. I've been spreading the word and showing how great this piece of technology is. It truly is the future of auscultation, 40-time amplification, noise cancellation, Bluetooth to your phone, even detects AFib now if you use the Bluetooth app on your phone. So very, very cool stuff that they're doing over at Echo. And you can get $50 off your order by using code JSP at checkout. That also lets them know that we sent you. So go check them out. It's echohealth.com. E-K-O health.com. Tom, as those chills are setting in, you know, I'm a little older. You're a little older. That arthritis is setting in in those knees and those shoulders. You still using that CBD stats stuff? All the time. And as a matter of fact, my poor mother has even started getting some back pain that, well, regular medicine just wasn't helping. And I suggested she use CBD stat and she has reported her back feels a lot better with using the product. The drops are also great for insomnia. My mother-in-law has some insomnia issues. And so I started ordering her the CBD stat drops and she uses those nightly and it helps her get some good sleep. So they uh, do some good stuff over there at CBD stat. They also love their healthcare people. So if you're in healthcare, they're gonna give you a permanent 40% discount. You go to cbstat.care slash healthcare. Down on the bottom of that page, is gonna tell you, hey, where'd you hear us at? Quick Just On Podcast, so they know that you're listening to us over there. But they're going to give you 40% off your order just because you're in healthcare. But Tom, they know that not all our listeners are in healthcare. They want to help them out too. So what can they do if they are not in healthcare? That's right, Ben. They know a lot of our listeners are not in healthcare, but still want to use those great CBD stat products. So if they go over there, they fill up their cart, and they put in JSP20 at checkout, they can get a great discount as well. Right, 20% off their order just because they're listening to Tom and I right now. Go check them out at cbdstat.care. All right, Tom. Let's talk torture. I want to preface this with the medieval times are probably the most popular for torture, but in the research, a lot of torture, yeah. (laughs) In the research, some of these. It's not just medieval times. I mean, oh, absolutely. Human beings love being terrible to other human beings. And if there's a way to inflict pain on them, we're still figuring out ways to do it. So, yeah, I, I, that's I'm really glad Ben pointed that out, because while we focused on some ancient stuff, because let's face it, we wanted to we wanted to talk about the spooky and scary stuff that you don't hear every day. That's, you know, that's what you want to listen about. But what I found is, is. If they used a certain torture, like I'm going to talk about tortures using rats, that was certainly used prevalent in, you know, BC times by Alexander the Great, all the way to, you know, the last practitioner I was telling Ben Pre-Show was a guy and he died in 2006. And we know for a fact he used rats to torture people. So, I mean, it has gone all the way from BC to 2006 
torture is spanning the time that human beings have been on Earth, I guess, is what I'm saying. So while we're going to focus on medieval tortures, and I want you to imagine those medieval settings, I guess it's important to remember, it's important to remember your history, because if you don't, it may try and repeat itself. All right, well, I'm going to start, Tom, and I want to start with Heretic's Fork. This was established in 1478 by King Ferdinand and uh, Queen Isabella, the, the Catholic monarchs, sought to enforce religious uniformity. So we're talking kind of Spanish Inquisition times here. What the heretic's fork was, was a leather belt that went around the neck, and it had a sharp fork-like tool attached to it. And the fork was forked on both ends, and so there were sharp prongs on either side. So what that would do, you couldn't tilt your head down too far, because it would poke into your chest or your chin. So any relaxation would cause the tips of the prongs into puncturing the skin. And so they would use this to question people or things of that nature. And, you know, in the research that I had looked at, it said some people, knowing that death was inevitable, chose to just let the tool do its job. And so they would, you know, force their head down, letting the fork pierce their body. But they never died immediately. Instead, the death itself became torture as they kind of just slowly bled out from their wounds. I want to point out that the tortures I'm going to be speaking about by and large, similar to this, are tortures that were used by organizations that thought they were eliciting the truth from you, right? So here's the problem I have is so they got this uh, heretic's fork on you and you're telling the truth. You're not into witchcraft, but they want to make sure so they keep asking you. I mean, boy, that's. That is a pretty terrible prospect to know that, boy, I'm going to get my chest or my neck pierced from exhaustion. Ah, yeah, just sitting there. Yeah, and and, and that, you know, is it that they want the truth or they want the answer that they They want? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's a theme I want you to remember because it comes up repetitively (laughs) in torture. They weren't torturing people, you know, the peasants that were bringing in crops like, oh, you brought in 30 bales of hay instead of 29 or whatever. You know what I'm saying here? Math is also hard apparently tonight. But the point is, is they weren't torturing those guys. But if you uh, you said something bad about the king and he didn't like it, or if you happen to be another wealthy guy and you might ha- be getting some more power and the king didn't like it, suddenly you were answering a lot of questions. So that leads me to my torture, Ben, the first one I'm going to talk about, and I already talked about it a little earlier, so I'm going to lead off with it, is that's rats. Now, rats have been used in a variety of ways, and that's really what I'm going to talk about. I just thought it was weird that throughout human history, commonly, this one animal has been used repetitively to torture people. So the first one I'm going to talk about that I, I thought was very interesting was called the Rat Dungeon. And it was at the Tower of London. Ben, have you ever heard of the Rat Dungeon? Or Rat, yeah, Rat Dungeon. No, I have not. Okay. Well, what would happen is they dug out a small cavern at the base of the Tower of London where it meets the Thames River. And what would happen is they would put you in four-point restraints above the water line so you had no fear of drowning. But what would happen is is as the tide would come in because they put you in there at low tide, as the tide came back in, it would drive the rats up into this cavern where now it's dark cramped, trapped, and now the rats are freaking out because they have nowhere to go. And now there's a live food source sitting there. Usually what they would report is that the rats at first usually wouldn't bother the people, but then after a couple hours, 
they were going to start trying to figure out what this thing was. Usually the prisoners could shake off most of the rats for long enough, but eventually hundreds of rats, you're just constantly flip-flopping your body around trying to keep them from biting you. You were probably going to pass out from exhaustion. And then there was nothing to keep the rats from biting you. And once they started to smell blood from when the other ones were getting through the skin, it could create a frenzy and you may not wake up. Now, the thing is, Ben, a lot of people did wake up. Mm -hmm. A lot of people woke up. And then that was also part of the torture is now you had to walk around London with hundreds, if not thousands of small scars all over your body that everybody knew where they came from. And it marked you like as a, as a prisoner or a person that has been tortured. But sometimes, Ben, sometimes they didn't leave you down there for one day. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> Some da- sometimes you, if you survived day one, you were going to be down there for day two, three, four, whatever it took. So just imagine, Ben, every night as that tide started to come in, you knew what was coming. Yeah, just more. Yeah, I just that's what I'm talking about. The psychological aspect was, yeah, getting bit by hundreds of rats is already terrible enough, but – to know you survived one night, but you won't survive the next. And then if you do somehow survive night two, you got to go for a night three. It just, yeah, I just, that's the part that bugs me is like you said, I would probably be that guy. Like, Nope. I would just try and force my head all the way down. Like, let's get this over with. But so the second thing is uh, something that a lot of people have heard of, um, which is they would put a rat on a person's stomach or chest and then, tape or lash a bucket over them and then start heating the bucket up, therefore causing the rat to panic. It starts clawing its way out. What I was telling Ben is during my research, they actually pointed out there's not any specific documentation of this actually happening. Now, we've heard the rumors and most people would agree, yes, that's probably been used before, but nobody has ever said this victim has died from this torture that was until I found out about a guy named Pinochet, who was the ruler of Chile, who took over by military coup. And what ended up happening is, is political prisoners, you know, people that didn't agree with him, like he would put his family members or his best friends into high ranking government positions. And then if anybody questioned them whatsoever in any way, even though they might be right, he would torture them to death because he said the court should just do whatever he said and Basically, he turned the place into a whole dictatorship. So what is the point of this? Rats, Ben. He had lots of rats. And boy, he liked to use them. So if he didn't tie you to a chair, then he'd have bucket up with a bunch of rats on your stomach. This is a trigger warning. If you have small children around, please do not listen to the rest of what I'm about to say for the next couple minutes. But what he would do, Ben, is they would lubricate a tube Or they would make large cuts into a patient's anal or rectal cavity to force this tube into it and then shove some sweet like honey lubricants or whatever down into the bottom of the tube and then shove a rat or two into it and then seal the other end. Now, usually from what I understand, it wasn't sealed with anything airtight. Therefore, that rats would actually be able to live for quite a while, but they wouldn't be able to get out. And they would just continually keep the tube pointed up so that the rats couldn't climb back out of it. So eventually the rats would go for the soft tissue on the inside of the human's body. And as far as we know, while no rat ever ate its way out, no human lived through it. So rats, Ben. Hmm. Rats. Well, taking your rats, I'm going to stick with vermin. Vermin. (laughs) I'm going to talk about... Scaphism. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I thought about taking that one, yeah. Otherwise known as the boats. 
Are you going to tell them when this was primarily used? Because when I was looking this up, I saw the Assyrian Empire. Like, biblical times, man. <laughs> We're talking, this is an old school torture. Okay, what I have here says it's an ancient Persian method of execution. Okay, I mean, but, same. But yeah, we're we're talking. This has got roots. Actually, I'm just going to read this because this this is interesting. So it says the first mention of scaphism is in Plutarch's description of the execution of the soldier, I believe it's Mithridates, given as punishment by King Adorexus II for killing his brother Cyprus the Younger, who had rebelled in an attempt to claim the throne of the Archimede Empire. So the king decreed that Mithridates should be put to death in boats, with the execution being the following manner. Taking two boats, framed exactly to fit, and answer each other, they lie down in one of them, and usually on their back, and they cover them up with the other boat, setting them together so that the hands, feet, and head are left outside. So then the rest of the body is shut up in between the two boats. They offer him food, and if he refuses to eat it, they force him to by pricking his eyes, and then after he's eaten, they drench him with a mixture of milk and honey, which they also fed him, milk and honey, pouring it not only his mouth, but all over his face. They then kept his face continuously turned toward the sun as it became completely covered and hidden up by the multitude of flies that would settle on it. And as within the boats, he does what those who eat and drink must need to do, creeping things and vermin spring out of the corruption and rottedness of the excrement, and these entering into the bowels of him, his body is consumed. When a man is manifestly dead, the uppermost boat being taken off, they find his flesh devoured and swarms of creatures preying upon it, as if it was growing to his inwards. In this way, Mithridates expired 17 days after being put in the boats. My understanding is that milk honey type solution that they would make you consume or force down your throat created a laxative like consistency. Yeah. And so basically the entire time you're laying in your back, you're losing control of your bowels. So you're laying in it. It's all over you, but it's also attracting insects and vermin and yeah, who are then and, eating uh, it and then subsequently you. And then because your hands yeah, are feed- outside and head her outside, then they can continue to feed you and just repeat this cycle of torture. Oh, and to feel bugs burrowing into your skin for days and, or just the fly, like you get one fly in your face and it's, you're like, you know, you're slapping away. I oh, could yeah. imagine hundreds of, I was going to say, I do not deal well with sunburns. And could you imagine the sunburn you'd have after 17 days of that? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben. Well, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Okay. I'm going to go. We've talked about things that are just physically brutal. I'm going to talk about something that doesn't cause one ounce of physical pain. It it does not require anything to happen to you. Okay. Have you ever heard of an oubliette? No, I have not. Crazy fact. The first time I heard the word oubliette, Ben was in the movie Labyrinth, a Jim Henson the Muppets movie. Yes. Oh, that yeah, what were they thinking putting that into a kids movie? Anyways, what an oubliette. And by the way, that's old French for forget. <laughs> so what oubliettes were were prisons that didn't have a wall. Well, that's not true. So that's how it started off. In France, they would create these small eaves in walls. And then that's where they would leave a prisoner. 
and then just sail off. It's a prison without a wall. Exactly. Like, there you go. And so the person would basically either have to jump to their death or just waste away on this, this rock face. And so they called him, you know, that was new Bliet. So the English found out about this and thought, Hey, we can make this one worse. And so what they started to do, and I'm going to talk about a famous one. It's in Warwick castle. I believe that's in Ireland, but what they do is they created these spaces in their dungeons. They made these spaces, neither big enough that you could stand all the way up, but you could not squat all the way down. You couldn't lay down, but you couldn't, you, there was no way to get into a comfortable position. And it was put in a place of the dungeon where basically when they locked you in there, they just left you in there. If they really hated you, they would actually give you food and water so that your torture would last longer. And most people, obviously, with self-preservation being in mind, would obviously eat the food or water because they don't want to die. But again, that just prolonged their suffering. When it came time to start excavating Warwick Castle, the place I was just talking about, Ben, that a lot of people just apparently didn't write down the history of, they found hundreds of body parts, meaning there was at least dozens, if not, of, if not hundreds, of people that had died in this manner of just wasting away in a dark hole under a castle. So the point of it is it's torture because you're never getting out. And nobody ever does anything to you. So you die perfectly healthy, but from malnutrition or from sensory deprivation. But the point is, it's a very excruciating way to go because of the length of time it takes to go. Again, it's the thought of thinking about knowing you're going to die and then just having to stay there. The English version, I think, is so much worse because at least in the French version, if you really got crafty, you could find a way to end it yourself. Right. But in the English version, they locked you into a box, basically. So you couldn't even hurt yourself bad enough to end the pain and just suffer. Yes. So the greatest suffer, the greatest suffering, apparently, this time was to not suffer at all. That was uh, poetic. Yeah, it sounded great. But really, it just meant people, you know, got tortured to death psychologically. Yeah. 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 Psychological. That sounds interesting. Uh, I had one of those also. And you mentioned kind of sensory deprivation earlier, so that, that's actually kind of what mine is. It is known as white torture or white room torture, and this one is not necessarily medieval. There are documented cases in 2004 in Iran. There are accusations by several entities like Amnesty International and the European Democratic lawyers accusing the United States of this in Guantanamo Bay under the George W. Bush administration and also in Venezuela. So this is not one that's hundreds of years ago. We're talking 20 years ago, and it's probably still being used in some places. So what uh, white torture is, or white, white room torture, is it is complete sensory deprivation and isolation. A prisoner is held in a cell that deprives them of their senses and identity. So visually, they are deprived of all color. The cell is completely white. The walls, floors, ceiling, as well as their clothes and food. Food, yes, like as in unseasoned white rice on white plates. And the uh, cell is soundproof, so there's void of any sound, voices, or social interaction. Uh, One of the most famous cases, again, back in Iran, was... A political prisoner, Amir 
Pakrivar, and I may I'm, I'm butchering the name, and I'm sorry. Yeah, we apologize for Ben butchering that name. <laughs> yeah, I do apologize. A 2004 Amnesty International report documented the use of this white torture on him. His cell had no windows, the walls, his clothes were white, his meals consisted of white rice on white plates. To use the toilet, he had to put up a white piece of paper under the door. He was forbidden to speak, and the guards wore shoes that muffled sound. And this causes psychological torture. In a phone interview, they said, you know, he was not able to sleep without sleeping bills. I had even read something that he didn't recognize his parents afterwards. He was kept there for eight months. So this is a torture that I have heard of other countries using. Weirdly enough, they always refer to it as white or white room torture, but they also implied that other colors were used. It's more the lack of sensory than it is the color white. So regardless if it's all black, all red, all blue, all white, whatever, as long as everything's the same, it produces the same effect. But that's the whole point is that you are just isolated and human beings are not made to be isolated. So that impact it has on you can really mess a person up apparently. But I, but again, I, I also noticed what you said to his time. This is also not a torture that you can inflict on somebody in a couple days. Like the human mind will be able to withstand that. It takes time to break somebody down with this type of impact. Right. And there's not to say that, you know, in the prison system, solitary confinement, there are documented cases of that causing psychosis. Yeah. Psychosis. Now, you take solitary confinement and then you add upon it completely devoid of any sensory interaction. That is yeah. insane. Because what I had read, you know, the guards all were white. They had like white masks over their face. So, I mean, there was literally nothing yes. other than the color white. So, yeah, that's, uh, and that's, that's a recent one. That was 2004. The concept of torture is old, but boy, the application appears to be just brand spanking new. So, uh, okay. The one I'm going to talk about, though, is old school. We're talking William Wallace, Braveheart, old school. We're talking about the rack, Ben. Now, the rack is probably the most prolifically talked about and yet not most prolifically used torture device. Honestly, I'm going to probably give a shout out to some honorable mentions here before we get off the show, but one of them is going to be something like the pear. You know, that was more commonly used, though you will find some historians that say that wasn't used either. So, you know, who knows? But the point is the smaller devices, thumb screws, stuff like that were actually way more prominently used. But people, that doesn't it doesn't strike fear into your heart like when I say the rack. So the rack is also very popular because it's incredibly simple. You need a table, you need two pulleys, and you need guys willing to crank them. That's it. That's, 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 you know, and uh, let's be also fair. There are documented cases where they didn't use people. They used horses. So what were those guys pulling? You. They would put you on a table and they would bind you. Now, again, depending on where you're at, what devices they had available, there was many different methods. But by and large, what they would do is they would tie a loop over your left and right wrist. So individually, your hands, but usually your feet were tied together. So you were like a big Y. You were over a large wooden table. And like I said, on either end at the head or foot of the table are two like ratchet-like devices so that they could slowly pull, clank, Put a, they had some kind of like wood 
dowel or post device to keep it in place. They didn't have like a true ratcheting system, but they knew they needed to keep it still, right? So after you crank the forwards, they would just stick another stick down in the next hole and it would just keep the turning point in place. What it would do though is create an incredible amount of force on your joints, your muscles. So starting at your wrist, you would start to get some pain as everything tightened. You would start to get rope burn around your ankles or wrist as things become extremely tight. But as the people continued to create force on you, it would start to lift you off the table. It would then start to stretch you out. Your hands would be completely above your head and your feet would be completely out behind you in a straight line. And then they would turn it some more. Eventually, you would start to feel your skin ripping and you would start to have open splitting wounds on either side of your wrist, your knees, your ankles. And then you would start to feel tendons and ligaments go. And then the joints themselves would actually disintegrate. And eventually, if they kept going or if they used large animals like horses, the joints themselves would just give way and they would dismember you. If they liked you, believe it or not, they went fast. And they would just smack the horses on the ass as hard as they could. So they ran and then pop. (laughs) And the person would die. You really had to go with the pop sound, didn't you? I imagine that's what it did. Yeah. I can't imagine. I would imagine it made a noise somewhere of like a watermelon hitting concrete after dropped off a building. I mean, it would probably make a pretty wet splat noise, but it's going to rip you in half. Well, not in half into force. Sometimes they individually wrapped your knees or ankles. Sometimes they didn't. It really depended on what they had available. So yeah, it it was, Not as commonly used, though, as you'd think, and the reason being is because, honestly, they didn't have to. If you had pissed off the local governor or viceroy, the prince, the king, whoever it was that had the rack at their available uh, use to put people on, you just made sure you didn't piss him off. And all you had to know is that that guy had a rack, and that usually did it, because if they had a rack, they might use it. And you didn't want to be the one on it. Some places had variations. Some places put spikes or heated them up. But by and large, most places didn't feel the need to uh, improve perfection. It tortured people. They knew what it was, and it killed them if they needed it to. So it checked all the boxes. Well, ouch. I mean, I guess I would just hope I was well-liked. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess, I, I guess they like me enough to kill me fast. I don't know. It seems yeah, like a system all the way around. Well, Tom, if anybody has listened to any of our medieval episodes in the past, there's one thing that we always kind of end with, and that was usually, you know, something going in orifices somewhere, and <laughs> you know, yeah. Or I guess on other medieval episodes, we would talk about like you know inducing orgasms as hysteria type things, but not tonight. So. Let's dig deeper into the pair of anguish. And this was early medieval type times. And it was a pear-shaped metal body that had spoon-like segments that divided. And they were could spread apart by using a spring or a key. This would be inserted into the mouth, the vagina, or the rectum. And depending on, I guess, you know, because I had seen that it could be used for like adultery, had been used for homosexuality other things along those lines. So they would insert the pair into that orifice and with the spring or the key, as they say, they turn the key, those spoon like segments spread apart. And as they spread apart, it 
damaged the interior of whatever orifice they were actively you know putting it in yeah if you're if you're having trouble imagining as a home imagine a cantaloupe and then you punch the cantaloupe with your fist and then you open your hand that's what we're talking about wow think about it that's yeah or maybe if you just like you know you cut a hole in the cantaloupe and then you just like you know you you put your fingers in there and then you like kung fu master grip i don't know how to explain that yeah so Either way, it, it sucks. No, no, and that's probably why it was called the pair of anguish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. not, you know, the hey, let's the go. The fruit of it. happiness was taken. So <laughs> mine gets right to the point. Mine is the death of a thousand cuts. Whew. That's right, Ben. And again, this was actually started and documented to be used by the dynasties in China in BC. And has been used so recently that there are actually pictures of people that have perished due to this torture. So again, human beings just love being terrible to each other. Also, as I pointed out before, this specific torture was reserved exactly for what we talked about earlier, political reasons, because they considered that to be the worst. If you tried to overthrow a government official, if you didn't pay your taxes, or if you did anything that made people question the government – you were getting this cut. So what they did is they would take the prisoner, they would drive a large stake into the ground because they needed stability, and then they would bind the prisoner to it. Now, there's lots of different ways they could do that. Above your head, below your head, didn't really matter. You were tied to a stick and you weren't moving. Now, again, there's several ways that this could have gone down, but we're going to talk about the most common one, which was the, the fastest. Over a period of several hours, an official would take usually a double-sided but small, not much bigger than a kitchen knife device, and one small incision at a time, start making lacerations to the prisoners' like appendages, arms, legs. And then they would start making bigger cuts that they could start stripping small one- or two-inch pieces of skin off of you at a time. And this way, minimizing blood loss so that you suffered longer. The point of this was not to kill you fast. This was to kill you in the most explicit way possible. They wanted everybody to see you torture, and they wanted everybody to know that they could do this to you as well. So over this period of time, they would just have to listen to this person scream for mercy as one or two, three, four, five, six-inch strips of flesh are now just getting ripped off of them. Until they get to the point where they were starting getting blood loss, And then they would start cutting the appendages off to try and stop the blood loss if they could or just to make the torture look worse, usually starting at the leg. So I did actually see several photos. And again, trigger warnings, don't go looking for this if you don't want to see something terrible. But yeah, usually by the end of it, there was just a body tied to a post with no legs below the knees or no arms past the elbows. Ooh. Now, if you had a skilled person they could do this over a course of a day and really drag it out, and you would suffer quite a bit. Oh, sure. If you were well-connected, if your family bribed the executioner, most people would slit your throat sometime very early in the process, allowing you to die immediately and then just continue to mutilate your body because that's really what they wanted. So that was an acceptable practice in the 14th to 16th centuries. They were, That was a big thing was just kill them real quick, but we just cut them up like mutilated them. So they continued to do that. However, if you really made them mad, 
if you really irk somebody, like you killed an official's wife or family member, or you really pissed them off, they would cut you a couple of times and then just leave you alone and then come back the next day. And this could go on for quite some time if they took the time to heal you up in between them. So it, it again, it could be quite a difference in the application of the torture, but the torture remained the same. You were tied to a post and someone cut your body off of you. Yeah, buddy, that's... Uh... That's a tough one. There was some other really cool tortures. Like there's the Blood Eagle. And again, I'm not going to go too far into some of these because maybe we do them next year. You know, the Blood Eagle, the Vikings had a really cool one. Everybody heard about stuff like the Iron Maiden and stuff like that. So, you know, there's some really cool torture devices out there. But it's amazing. Like I said, the amount of time people took into figuring out how to destroy human bodies. Could you imagine if they just figured out like, hey, if we just build this together, this could be crutches. But instead, they just went the opposite way. They're like, oh, we can just pull them apart with it instead of putting them back together. I just find that odd. <laughs> if they had just done one simple difference in direction, that would have helped people. But but no, we, we want no, to. No, 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 no. Much, much rather cut them in half. That is not human nature, Tom. To- it is not. It says to be as terrible as possible to each other. Well, Tom, that concludes our, our medieval torture. So, you know, uh, that's a good bedtime story if you want to, you know. <laughs> We probably should put a small trigger at the beginning of this one. Like, yeah, don't listen to this one if you got kids in the car. So, no, that's very true. Ben, where can they find us? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All at Just Some Podcast. Our website's www.justsomepodcast.com. Email us if you uh, liked our torture episode, or I guess if you didn't, you could email us and tell us that too. <laughs> JSP at justsomepodcast.com. Tom, if they want to help our show out now that we're back, what could they do to help us out? They could go to our website. They could scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. They'd see an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that before you do any shopping. Go into Amazon, put everything you could possibly want to your cart, and then buy it. You won't even know we're there. It doesn't do anything to your cart, and it's absolutely free. But what it does do is helps out the show. So we would really like it if you would do that. Yep, they give us a little kickback on everything that you buy when you use our link. So that helps us out. Tom, anything you want to add to our uh, medieval torture episode? Be nicer to each other. Oh, that, there you go. Researching torture for a couple of days will do anything. It'll make you go, God, we should be nicer <laughs> to each other. <laughs> uh, the words of Tom, we should be nicer to each other. Okay, well, on that note, wash your hands and be kind to one another and have a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. Practice swearing just to pass the time. I see why I am alone I caught some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known Took a press so I could find my chi Find mediocrity's the best that I could do Say